The Christmas season is upon us. Everywhere we look, it's obvious something big is on the way. The why behind all the gathering, decorations, and gifts is the Advent. We pray this series, Christmas is on the Way, draws the heart to Christ afresh as we live for His good purposes. Wow. Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those up to Matthew chapter 2. I am sitting on green. I don't know if you guys are ready for this or not. But uh, <clears throat> you certainly look ready. I can see by the expressions on your face. Church, are y'all with me this morning? Did you realize what you just sang? Holy, holy, holy. Let that wash over us as we dig into the holy word, the bread of life for us. The title of uh, the, the series that we're going to be working through for the rest of the year is simply this. Christmas is on the way. Duh. You look around. You look around. I mean, we're in full swing. Uh, our, our, our decorating team does a fantastic job. You pull up, you see Christmas is on the way. Little manger's up. It's beautiful. <clears throat> we're going um, to have a live nativity. Some of our Kids Town kids are going to be out of nativity the, the two Sundays leading up to Christmas um, as a way of welcome. So you don't want to miss that. It's in full swing, power poles. You know, there's lights hanging off of those. Most of our Christmas trees are up. Some of you guys are some of those people that put inflatables out in your yard. I'm not judging you, but I am. <laughs> it happens every year. But in 22 days from now, all that stuff goes away, right? Almost as fast as it goes up. And so I was thinking as, as a way to launch this series, Christmas is Coming, I had completely another direction to go to, but I'm going to tell you, I, 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 without a shadow of a doubt, this is the word for this morning. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. God clearly gripped my heart with something that I did not want to preach in a place that I, not, did, not, I did not want to go this Christmas to kick off this series, but when the Lord says go, you say, yes, sir. My boss is a Jewish carpenter. Amen. 22 days from now, all that stuff goes away. It's all building up to something. All this build up, the inflatables, the, the, the food, the lights, it's all building up to this Christmas day. That's what it's building up to. It's all about showing one thing, and it's this, very simple. Christmas is on the way. Christmas is on the way. So what is the goal for us the next few Sundays? The goal is simply this. The goal is to create new excitement around Christmas this year by looking at some history context of the first Christmas morning. Maybe you're saying to yourself, Pastor Ryan, I didn't, I didn't come here ready for a history lesson. Why, why is history important? Why, 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 do we have to have, why do we have to have history? Well, this is why I believe that if we're going to be ready, if we're going to know Christmas is on the way, we've got to be on the right side of history. Amen? What's history got to do with Christmas? Everything. Everything. It's been said, if you don't know your history, it's going to repeat itself. 
which is why when Pastor Stan retired, I promised him, I said, you've already burned the church down once. I know the history. I promise I won't do it again. <laughs> I know the history. Being able to look back helps you contemplate where you're headed. It, it, it builds your character. And I believe it. Church 213, the Christmas season, has overlooked some history that needs to be known because when we understand the history of what's going on around the Christmas story, knowing that Christmas is on the way, it's going to spark something new in us. Amen? And that's what I want for us as a church family. Don't go through the motions this Christmas. I want, I want, I want a new spark in us. Something that you're like, wow, I've never seen this before. God, you are so good. Christmas is on the way. I can't wait because culture will desensitize us to what Christmas is all about. And before we know it, and you know this is true, we'll just go through the motions. We'll cook the green beans, go to the houses, we'll open the presents. We'll act like we're not going to re-gift it, but we know we probably are. And we just go through the motions. And so what I want to do is I want us to look at Matthew chapter 2. And I've titled this message, Being on the Right Side of History This Christmas. Christmas is coming. I want us to be on the right side of history of it. Amen. Let's stand together if you're willing and able. Matthew chapter 2. Like Pastor Ryan, what, what verses in Matthew 2? All of them. All of them. I believe there's power when God's people read God's word in a corporate assembly. And I love to do it. Matthew chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem. Verse 2, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. King Herod heard this. He was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. Verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because, you, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem. He said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Wah, wah, wah. You hear the bells going off? After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen at its rising it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And falling on their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Verse 13, 
After they were gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and kill him. So he got up. He took the child and his mother during the night and he escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. I'm telling you, God is in the details, church. Verse 16. And then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, he flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and younger. In keeping with the time, he had learned from the wise men. What was spoken through, the, through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping a great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they are no more. Man, how tragic. Put yourself here. Verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream and to Joseph in Egypt saying, Get up and you take this child and his mother and you go to the land of Israel because those who intended to kill the child are dead. Man, God is so faithful, y'all. So he grew up, so he got up and he took the child and his mother and he entered into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. And then he went and settled down into a no-name town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarite. You can be seated. It just got real thick on me. I'm sorry, y'all. See, <clears throat> from the pages of Matthew's Gospel, we see a man come on the scene. The man's King Herod. Now, I realize that Herod is, <clears throat> is usually not the focus of a message during Christmas because we like all the warm and fuzzies, don't we? We like the angels in the field. We like the shepherds. And, and we like to think about the little lambs moving all around the temple and maybe in the hay and all those things. But I'm here to tell you, King Herod is front and center right here in its own purpose. And whether we like to admit it or not, Christmas is on the way. And Herod comes with it. But I'm telling you, it's on purpose. God is on purpose. And so we have to understand why he's here. And it's why he's here that, that I really believe is going to spark in us something new, something we have never seen before. That's my prayer as we move into the Christmas season. The Bible is a history book of the universe. That's the way I want you to look at it. It's, it's message pinned through the perspectives and personalities of different people. It's still the final unchanged, revealed truth exactly as God has prepared it to be and preserved it to be for over three millennia. And so what needs to be said by God 
and how and by who and when proves the inerrancy of the pages that's found through the sovereignty of God. Amen. Just because, listen, catch this, just because Scripture has an element of human involvement in no way discredits its truth. You can say, Pastor Ryan, but it has to have errors. Men wrote it. So it has to mean that it's not true. Not if you consider the source. Think about this. Guys, our wives write a grocery list and send it to us through text to the grocery store, and I guarantee it, you don't doubt it. You know what I'm saying? You're like, I am to get this, 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 this. I will not divert from the list if I want to maintain the health of the relationship. A judge writes down a verdict in court. We expect that, right? What does the judge write? Parents, you buy a Christmas gift and, and you know it comes with assembly and you open that box up and the bag of bolts falls out and it's like 10 pounds. You're like, man, I am in a pinch right here. What do you do? You open up written instructions. Now, there are 15 pages in three different languages, but you trust it. You follow it. You read it, right? Because the source of these things, they're revealing something that's proven to be unchanging and trustworthy. The judge, the wife, the instruction manual creator, we trust those things. The logic that Bible isn't trusted truth because it's penned by men is weak logic. We can't live by that. We trust what people write every single day. Right, amen? But when it comes to the Word of God, people are like, well, men wrote it. No. You don't want to accept what was written. So you try to put your lives together without using the instruction manual like us men do. And we try to put together that Hot Wheels without the instruction manual. And that thing lasts about a week and two wheels are falling off and the horn doesn't work. Follow the instruction manual. The Bible's not complete history with every listed detail. It's not a biology book. It's not a physics book. It's not a math book. It's not an early childhood development book. This is what the literature is. It's, it's historical theology, which means it's God's revelation to mankind, through mankind, to the limited extent, limited extent that we feeble-minded folks need to know. We're limited, right? To understand who God is and why we exist so we can live life according to His good purposes. So my challenge is this. Don't refuse. Don't refuse to submit your life to the Word by saying, I have to have all of my answers, all of my questions answered. Because if you really think about that, if you, if you try to justify worship by conjuring up everything that you need to know, what we're really doing is we want to be God ourselves. We'll be on the wrong side of Christmas. And so when we see somebody like Herod, we have to study why he's there because he's there on purpose, because God is in the details. I believe Herod points out some critical elements that's going to give us a spark this, this Christmas. Luke chapter 4, 16, 17, and 18 remind us of the theme of this revealed truth that we have in historical theology. That's what it says. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up as usual. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up 
to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it is written. Now, let me set this for you. Jesus comes in the synagogue. It's just an Old Testament church, and, and, and it was really kind of a first century phenomenon thing under the room, rule of Rome. And that what would happen is the religious community would go in, and they had all of these old scrolls. Think about that old family Bible that some of you, you know, may have, that thing that sits on the shelf. So these scrolls would be... They didn't have a complete compilation like this it was just pieces of different scrolls so they would hand someone a scroll someone that had the authority to read the scroll and they would open it up and they would teach from that particular place god is in the details amen so it says jesus he he goes into the synagogue on the sabbath day he stands up to read and they give him the scroll isaiah he unrolls the scroll and reads this the spirit of the lord is on me it's the words of isaiah Jesus is reading the words of Isaiah, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed. Jesus is reading from the scroll of Isaiah about Himself. Right there. God is in the details. And so if we're going to be on the right side of history this Christmas, there's some things we have to do. Hang on to this. You guys write this down. The history of Christmas brings the right perspective for a guarded heart. You're going to be on the right side. Hey, newsflash, Christmas is coming. I just barely got last year Christmas paid off. Christmas is coming. The history of Christmas brings the right perspective for a guarded heart. Look at verse 4 from Matthew 2. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men, and he asked them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, report back to me, that I can go and worship after him. See, what we see is King Herod was a power-hungry monster. King Herod reminds us that there are forces at work around the coming of Christmas that do not want Christmas to come. There are forces that do not want Christmas to happen. We were talking about this message as we were doing some decorating at our own house last night. Never have we had an issue with Christmas tree lights. But these lights won't stay lit. The fuse keeps, keeps, he keeps tripping. And so here I am behind the tree. You know, the fuse is about the size of an infant's fingernail. And so I'm trying to change that fuse out, get it going. Everybody gets in the bed. We're asleep. 129 this morning. 
I'm awakened to a crash in the living room. So I jump up. You know, I'm cock-locked and ready to rock, right? Okay. I'm like, who is it? So I ease in there, you know. And I see that a wreath that we had, we had put above the, the mantle had fallen and it drug a bunch of stuff off the mantle onto the floor. And I thought this. Lord, if there's something inside of this place that doesn't want Christmas coming in this home, by the power of Jesus, Christmas is coming, baby. But that's what's rolling around. There are, there, are mo- there are people, there are forces that we can't see that are trying to prevent the good news of the gospel to rolling into the nations that we are. It, it's, it, it's there. There are, there are people that do not want Christmas to be celebrated. Just think about those Hallmark movies. Everybody likes a good Christmas story. Those Christmas stories, you know, cue, cue the snow, you got the hometown guy and the out-of-town girl, you know, and you cue the snow and you cue the kiss and you cue the music and everything's, you know, doing its thing. But if you, if you think about it, you get all these feels. But I was thinking something else about Christmas. When those movies come on, there's always something trying to stop Christmas. It never fails in those movies. There will be a flat tire. There'll be a fire in town. There'll be a broken down sleigh. A reindeer will get sick in those movies. You've got the mean Grinch in Whoville. Ebenezer Scrooge. You've got a depressed George Bailey. You've got a fatherless elf. Hope you find you did. You've got, you've got Harry and Marv. You've got the abominable snowman. And you've got Professor Hinkle. Think about it. Why are these Christmas movies always including an opposition and, a, and a, 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 another force is trying to stop Christmas from coming? But you know something wonderful? Christmas always arrives every time, no matter the opposition. Light always breaks through because nothing can stop the plans of a living and sovereign God. Amen, church. And Herod was in that place. That's where we see him in Matthew's account. But who was he? Who was he? Well, Herod is the Roman-appointed governor of Judea. He takes the role around 40 B.C. when there was change in the power in the area. Remember, the area of Palestine, now the, the area of Israel was this critical land bridge between Africa and and Asia. Everybody wanted it, and everybody still wants it. And so the Israelites were caught up in whoever had control over this region. If you look across the timeline of history, you understand that the Philistines and all the ites had it, right? The Jebusites, the Hittites, the Mosquito Bites, all, all of those people, they had the land. Then King David and the people had it. Remember the whole, let my people go, walk around, push over walls, yell and shout, all those things. Then the Assyrians had it. Kingdom became divided. The Babylonians had it. Three different times they exiled the people to Babylon. Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, that group. Then the Persians had it. Persian king said, go back. Nehemiah, Ezra, go back. First and Chronicles, first and Kings. Go rebuild the temple. Go rebuild the walls. Then the Greeks had it. Then there was this Jewish revolt called the, the Maccabees Rebellion, which instituted temple worship. They went in and they cleansed the temple. This is where we have Hanukkah. 
It was a celebration of when the temple came back into the hands of the Jewish people and they reestablished the worship. And then there was this Jewish state period for a while, and it only lasted 63 years. Why? Because they couldn't get along. Bickering, arguing, power, back and forth, which led the Romans at that point to step in and say, this foolishness is enough. This land is unstable. I have, we have got to send our own representative over there to straighten some things out because there was all this regional unrest and this began the Roman occupation and control of Judea to stabilize the region again because of that land bridge. Y'all with me? And so Rome, under Caesar Augustus, puts Herod in charge, controlling that region, and included Galilee. Now he's called Herod the Great. He's called Herod the Great not because he was a great man. He was not a great man. He was called Herod the Great because he was really good at strengthening Roman influence right there in that land bridge. He was an impressive builder. He built aqueducts. You can still go there today and see those water systems. He architecture. I mean, carving, carving um, just, just massive structures out of the side of mountains where, where his family would go and retreat, their, their castles. But most impressive was the rebuilding of Solomon's temple. He was throwing the people a bone. And what we see, church, is really Herod is this paranoid, power-hungry ruler who had already been run out of power once from an invading king, and he was willing to do whatever it took to stay in power again. That's why we see him as a power-hungry monster. See, all Israel knew he was not a legitimate king of Israel, so he ruled by fear. That's why when the text says that the wise men came and said that there was a king, it said the whole area trembled in fear. Why? Because they knew what kind of leader they were dealing with. He was paranoid. They're like, this, this means trouble. This means trouble. And it did. I mean, Herod... He killed the, fi the final members of the Hasmonean ruling family. He had many of the members of the Sanhedrin taken out. He slaughtered members of his own family, including his wife, a mother-in-law, and three of his very own sons. And all of that plays right into the Christmas story because what that tells us is Jesus didn't roll in being born to a fluffy winter wonderland of singing angels and baby sheep running into a manger. He was born into a war zone. Y'all with me? It was chaos in the land. There was this power play on, on a cosmic level. And so just imagine how bothered Herod was when this noisy, clanking, entourage rolls in from the far east dressed strange looking strange probably smelling a little strange with strange gifts asking innocently hey where's the new king in town and in this baby really what king herod saw was a threat to his power And that's where I didn't plan to make this connection. But I'm going to make the connection because there's a critical connection for us, listen, between 1st century A.D., 21st century 2022. Here's the connection. Jesus has always been a threat to illegitimate earthly power. 
Why is it when, when there's a thirst for personal power, the name of Jesus makes people uncomfortable? Let's say Jesus together on three. One, two, three. Jesus. Let that name sit on your heart a minute. Jesus. Why does that make us uncomfortable? Why does that make things awkward at family gatherings? Why does it make things awkward at post-game interviews? Why is that? Because we can't do what our flesh wants to do and be at peace with Jesus. I ought to preach ten weeks on that. I did last ten weeks ago. Fruit of the Spirit. It was there. What this is showing for us, y'all, there's an ancient cosmic war going on. This just isn't pie in the sky stuff. This is real. It's laid out in the, in the historical theology right here in this book. What we see is Lucifer created in a perfect state of fellowship. What he did was he used his moral free will intended for the worship to rebel against God's authority. He tried to steal God's glory from himself. And what we're going to see is, is, is God cast him to the earth and he removed his position along with the third of the angels. Look at Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15 says this. Shining morning star, how you have fallen from the heavens. You destroyer of nations. You've been cut down to the ground. You've said to yourself, I will, ascend, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars. I will sit on the mount, the God's assembly, in the remote part of the north. I will ascend above the highest clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you will be brought down to Sheol, into the deepest regions of the pit. We see that. What we see is, is God cast him to the earth. He removed his position. Now we call him Satan. In, in Revelation, we see him called the dragon. He was the once, once the most glorious created being. Isaiah says, star of the morning. But now he is forever handed the title adversity. The, 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 the adversary. He assaulted God in his original rebellion when he demanded to be like the most high God. And so Satan was, was completely and absolutely cast out of heaven's government to his place of authority. But what we see in the New Testament is he still has some role in heaven. The Bible says he goes, he goes back and forth between heaven and earth. And what, he, what is he doing here on earth? He's telling you that God doesn't love you. What is he doing in heaven? He's telling God that God shouldn't love you. He's labeled as the great accuser, bringing up all the things that you've done that's been covered by the Lamb, and he's saying there's no way you should forgive them. They're unforgivable. And what does he do now on earth? He's accusing you of all the things that you've done so that you may feel like God can't love you. He is the father of lies, and that's all that's in him. And Herod the Great, we're not going to let this happen to him. The target then from Satan is the same target of Herod. 
And this is it. The target is children. Isn't it? What is it about a kid that threatens evil people? And this is it. Satan hates children because he hates Jesus. And it breaks my heart to, to see this still raging today. I mean, consider this. As the world becomes more and more gripped by evil, children become less and less safe. Y'all, let's wait. Open our eyes. Y'all, we're investing into the lives of children. We believe these truths. Believe me, you are not the only one saying, where are my kids right now? There, there are forces that are after our children because they're after the glory of God through the Christ child. And here at this ministry, we invest into the life of kids. Why? Because they represent hope. They represent life. They represent innocence, purity, and joy. And we fight for life in the womb, from the womb to the water. We're going to fight for life because the Bible shows us a child is a threat to illegitimate power and we have to be watchmen on the wall for them. Amen? This is a cosmic thing. Just not something we're dealing with today. This has been going on for the, for the life of the child since the original garden. Take your Bibles. Let's go to Genesis 3. We're in Matthew. We're going to go hard left. See, I know that Debbie made mention of these. <clears throat> but this is just one way that we can, we can try to fight for truth in the life, life of a kid. Um, I encourage you guys to help us build a war chest for our children, to invest in the kids' town. You know what? There's, there's, there, I think that rotation in kids' town requires like 60 people. 60 fighting as watchmen on the wall. So if you're not plugged in serving here and you're interested, let me say, Kidstown is worth it. It is not babysitting. It is being watchmen on the wall for truth. And so we invest in, into the light, especially around Christmas. Why does everyone focus on children around Christmas? Because it represents innocence. It represents light. It represents hope. It represents, it represents the, the image of God in flesh. It represents the lights of the world. It represents Jesus. And so what we see right here in Genesis 3 is really the first gospel. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. It was the first cosmic kind of uh, exposition of, of the gospel. It's the, it's the New Testament rolled all the way back. It's one, it's one entire theme. Starting in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit from the trees of the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat of it or touch of it, or you will die. 
No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What we're seeing here is how rebellion draws us away from wanting to be where we know God has usually, usually goes. There's places where you know the Spirit of God works and you know where hope is found. And what this is saying is there was a consistency in the garden in the cool of the day when the temperatures changed that a breeze would move through and that breeze is where Adam and Eve knew they could go to fellowship and experience and worship. But their guilt caused them to look away from that place. It wasn't on him, it was on them. So the Lord God called out to the man and said, where are you? Basically, what the, the context is, why aren't you here with me like you normally are here with me? Where have you been? I haven't seen you in a while. And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Then he asked, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, the woman you gave to be with me. She gave me some fruit of the tree and I ate. Let the blame game start. So the Lord asked the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, it was the serpent. It was the serpent who deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock. And more than any wild animal, you will, be, you will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. This is the key, verse 15. And I will put hostility, war, between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. What we see right here in Genesis 3.15 is the cosmic battle that is still raging today. The evil that's produced and the hope that's found in the womb of a woman through a virgin birth. This is the gospel for the first time. When evil, catch this, when evil destroys the least of these, the most vulnerable among us, what it does is it destroys a picture of Jesus himself. And so God was told by, Satan was told by God that his rebellion and the evil that would rule the earth, would one day be crushed by the offspring of a woman. And what this is, this is a foreshadowing of the virgin birth. I mean, from the, from, from the moment of the fall, God's plan for power in Jesus was made known. It's right there. God is about redeeming us, church. We don't have to run and sow things and try to cover up our own selves. Walk where the Lord dwells and experiences freedom but the demonic powers they they know the human race is saved and so they're vanquished 
By a child born a woman, so ungodliness hates the children who bear his name. Russell Moore puts it like this. The satanic powers want the kingdom of the universe. And a child uproots that reign. Which is why we fight for life. Starting in the womb all the way to the baptistry waters. That's why we support, heavily support, Newton Pregnancy Resource Center. That's why we're intentional about investing in the children. Because a child uproots the reign. And the uprooting by this child, Jesus, would end that. It, it was the end of something. So King Herod was gripped by it. The Magi said, we've come to visit the new king. And he's like, oh, no, you're not. Same thing that Satan did in Genesis 3.15. When God said, there's a coming king one day. And he's like, oh, no, there's not. Look at Isaiah 9.6. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given. And on the government will be his shoulders. He will be named church, wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. Woo! Man, y'all were pumped up. <laughs> See, this promise comes in the context of evil powers. The child born in a manger was a sign of judgment. Y'all get that? See, see, he is peace to those who put their trust in him. But you catch this. He is an enemy to those who wish to go their own way. Let the right power of Christmas, my, my charge is that the right power of Christmas is going to decide and help you describe and help you be guided as you go into the Christmas season. Be on the right side of history. Have a guarded heart for what's coming in your life. Philippians 2. Philippians 2, 1 and 4 says, If there is any encouragement in Christ Jesus, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose, church, life with purpose, amen? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. And everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but for the interest of others. See, if you're going to be on the right side of history, you've got to have the right perspective for a guarded heart. King Herod, when Christmas was coming, did not have a guarded heart. Church, in culture, during this Christmas season, guard your hearts so that you won't find yourself on the wrong side of history. Guard your hearts when you're in the line. Guard your hearts when you're at dinner. Guard your hearts when you're, 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 at, you're in your own homes. Because the heir of David's throne had come. The long cosmic struggle between ultimate evil and the seed of woman had culminated in Christ, just as John the Baptist and Jesus themselves proclaimed they both said the kingdom of god is at hand which means the rule and reign of god was already here it's already begun here i am i'm on the scene what side of history are you going to be on this christmas 
See, it's no surprise that those on the wrong side of history want Christmas to stop coming. But I want you to know that Christmas is coming. I was digging this out. I was asking myself those own questions. And, and we like to feel good about ourselves around Christmas. We like to, we like to think that we're going to be the shepherds singing in the field. Or we're going to be the wise men seeking from afar. But if we're honest with ourselves, we got a little bit of Herod in all of us, don't we? There, there's some Herod in there somewhere more than we want to admit. Are there places that are threatened by Jesus as, as he enters our lives and disrupts our powers? Is there an area that's threatened by the rule and reign of Jesus in your life? If there is, that's the Herod in you. I told you I really want to preach a fuzzy Christmas message, but I couldn't. I couldn't. That's next week, okay? Come back next week. Maybe. Really, Christmas is a heart check season, isn't it? It is a heart check season. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be completely transparent with you guys. I was born at a very early age. No, that's not it. I'm an awful gift giver. Can I get a witness? She loves, she is so gracious. I just, I'm, I, I'm, I wish I could be as intentional, as creative as Debbie and Emma. They are the best gift givers they think, they plan for months and months and months. I find myself at the last minute going, oh no, the list. And then I buy a bunch of stuff that's not really personal at all. It's just stuff that Dollar General had on sale. I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm working. Am I right? I'm working on it. I'm working on it. God, don't stop working on me. But I get there. I, I, there, there, are, there are places that that are threatened, and really if I boil that down, it's just lack of intentionality. I'm not focusing on what's there. Christmas is a heart check season for me. I need my heart to be checked. Why? The King is coming. Amen? Christmas is coming. You guys write this down. I think it's on your, your, uh, your sermon guide. Herod serves as a powerful reminder that, that we cannot be neutral about Jesus. He's either a liar, it's been said he's either a lunatic or a Lord. We know he's not a liar or a lunatic. Scripture backs that up, so that means he has to be Lord. It is a, we, we cannot be neutral about Jesus. We can either take up arms or we can bow down and worship in repentance and faith. That's the really only two options we have. And what King Herod's reaction to Christ is in this sense, oh man, it's a picture of us all. It's a picture of us. That, if, hey, if you want to be king and somebody else comes along saying he is a king, one of you have to give in because only one can absolutely sit on the throne. And if Christmas is a heart check season and you are sitting on the throne somewhere in your life and Jesus steps in, you've got a decision to make. Am I going to be on the right side of history or not? And so I wrote this little prayer that I'm going to, be, I'm, I'm, I'm going to begin to pray this week moving into, uh, into Christmas. And I want, I want us to pray this together. So let's, let's pray this together, church. I'm going to pray out loud and you guys just think about my words and, and I just ask you to pray it with me. 
Lord, I pray we would not miss the hair in our own hearts by resisting the ways of Jesus in favor of our own pursuits. Father, clear out those things that are threatened by this precious child by whom I may have life and have it to the full. God, you are great, not me. Lord, when I am weak, then you are strong. Amen. Y'all, Christmas is on the way. If we're going to be on the right side of history, we've got to see the right perspective in order to guard our hearts. But there's something else I want you to hang on to when we're wrapping up. It's this. The history of Christmas brings peace that God has not lost control. Amen? The Lord... While I might gnaw my nails till they bleed, I can't help it, is not worried. So why am I worried? Why am I worried? Our peace is found in him. Look at verse 16. Matthew 2, verse 16. Then Herod... When he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men. Flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem. Who were two years old and under. In keeping with the time he had learned from the wise, from the wise men. This is evidence that the wise men weren't there at the manger. They came much, much later. At least two years, because he's trying to, Herod, remember, is doing the timeline. He's trying to catch them all, so he goes far out as two years. You can keep your wise men in your manger at your house. That's okay, okay? Don't go put them out in the yard. We do have ours on the other side of the room. What? Verse 17, then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they were no more. Hey, watch this. Verse 19, after Herod died. Amen. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Remember, every word in here is on purpose. I love what, he, what Matthew adds to the account. He lays this, this violence against the innocents and he quotes from Jeremiah 31. See, to understand the Christmas story, you have to go back to the Old Testament. It all points toward the grand theme. What he's saying is the echoes of the weeping that was endured by previous generations of Hebrew mothers and fathers who lost their land and, and, and lost their children, J just like they were weeping before because of evil, despite the tears in Bethlehem in these mothers, there is hope because the Messiah has escaped Herod and it will ultimately reign over all of that evil. They will not weep anymore. No more mothers will weep because the Christ child is here. The tears of the exiles that began in Jeremiah's day ended with the tears of the mothers in Bethlehem. The heir to David's throne was here. 
The true Son of God had come, and He will introduce a new covenant promised by Jeremiah to all the people. Emmanuel, God with us. What we see is this paranoid and this powerful monarch. He gone. He's dead. And history tells us his kingdom was divided up by Rome. And some of his, some of his sons took power. And if you follow history, because history is important, a few decades later, there are no more Herods on the throne of Israel. But guess who still sits on the throne? The baby. The Christ child. Who is not dead, but who is alive. And ever since Lucifer, God's angel and leader of the course of heaven, fell from glory, he and his band of demons have had one singular mission. Thwart God's plan by taking out the child. See, Christmas began long before that starry night in Bethlehem. It began in eternity. In the council of the Trinity, as God planned to bring peace to the earth, nothing can stop. Nothing can stop the Lord Almighty. Yet Christmas is always will carry the elements of selfishness that try to stop the peace from coming. Don't stop the peace from coming. Have a guarded heart. Know that the King of Heaven is here. And y'all, let's be peaceful people. Let's be people, not peaceful people, not to try to thwart the plan of God, but to bring in the peace of God. Because God has been bringing in His plan for all of eternity. Just think about this. A son of Adam, Cain, gets on the wrong side of history, slays his brother in cold blood. But God then raises up another generation of Adam's son, Seth. A son of Seth, Abraham, was called out of being a, a pagan moon worshiper out of his homeland to follow the promise of God. But three times Abraham's family is threatened by famine, by sin, by infertility. But God births a miracle in Isaac, the son of a promise. But there's more. The son of Abraham, Jacob endures family dysfunction. Boy, they put the fun in dysfunction, didn't they? Of his own sinful schemes. There was famine in the land. God raises up his son Joseph to save Israel. Four centuries later, an evil Pharaoh who abandoned the way of Joseph saw this immigrant people of God as a threat and determined by exploitation and murder to wipe out the children of Abraham. And what happens? God says, you need to sacrifice a lamb. You put some blood over the post so that when the death angel comes over, your children will be protected. Amen? But God raised up a godly, some godly midwives to deliver babies from death. And another son of Abraham, Moses, out of the bushes and out of the wilderness to be delivered. And then God led Samuel to anoint just an obscure shepherd boy named David who would slay Israel's enemies and and whose throne would endure forever. But David would be forced to run from Saul. He would choose a path of sin and sorrow. His children would die. But through Israel's history, they would choose idol worship over and over over Yahweh. They'd be carried into captivity by other nations. They'd be scattered around the world. And yet the prophets foretold a time when a new king would arise that would be the final son of David. Christmas is coming. And so, 
for Jesus to be born in the days of Herod might have been the worst possible time for a new king. But let that remind you, man, that a mighty fortress is our God. No time is the wrong time to let the peace of God rule in your reign, in your name, in your, in your life. Peace has a name. Hope has a name. Forgiveness has a name. Judgment has a name. You may tell you what that name is? Jesus. Martin Luther wrote this magnificent hymn. It says, And through this world with devil's field should threaten to undue us. He will not fear, for God has willed his truth and triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. And so God warned the wise men, don't you report back to Herod. And he warned Joseph and Mary. He said, you go to Egypt. And what this is a reminder this coming Christmas in a world of evil and suffering. That Satan might have the upper hand as the prince of the power of the air. But never be, never be fooled. God is sovereign over all things. This is what Psalm 2 tells us as we close out. Psalm 2, 1 and 6 says this. Is Psalm 2 in there? I got it right here. Psalm 2, verse 1. Listen to this. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in their wrath. I have instilled my king on Zion, on my holy mountain. Listen, this earth is full of graves of kings who tried and failed to take out the coming of the real king from the Garden of Eden to the Garden of Gethsemane to the garden of this world that you're about to go into. They've tried and they have failed. To God be the glory. Herod may have seemed powerful. He may have initiated a culture of fear, but he was no match for the King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords. Christmas is coming. Popular commentator James Boyce says it like this. God is not troubled by this cosmic rebellion. God laughs at such folly. Let's stand together. As a praise team comes up, <clears throat> I'm going to sing... A little, uh, no, I'm not going to sing. Did I say that? I'm not going to sing. <laughs> I'm going to speak. I'm going to speak something that you will probably hear. And I want this song this Christmas season to remind you of this message this morning, that the King is coming. If you know it, maybe you do want to sing along. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. 
and heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Amen, church? Let all their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains, repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love and wonders of His love and wonders, wonders of His love. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let, earth, let the earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room so heaven and nature sing. What are you going to do with Jesus? That's the question this morning. What adjustments need to be made so that we can be on the right side of history so that the peace of God can rule and reign in you and through you this Christmas season? I love what Debbie said. Maybe there is a billboard that says, bring your children to 213. Maybe it's because we believe in the hope of a child that set the captives free and we want to invest into the lives of young families. Maybe. But I know this. God is in the details, and He wants to move in us this morning because Christmas is coming. Let's pray together, church. Father, you are so good. God, thank you for your faithfulness through your word and your praise this morning. God, we thank you for the babies that are in this place, for the babies that are in the womb. God, we thank you, Lord, for new life that you're bringing to us so that we can invest into families and point people to the glory of your name through the majesty of your son. Father, thank you for such a privilege in this place, in this faith family. Father, I pray that you would guard our hearts this Christmas season. God, if there's a Herod inside of us, God, I pray that someone would come forward and lay that down this morning. God, create in us pure heart. God, renew in us a right spirit so that we can live in peace and have a new flame sparked in our hearts as Christmas is coming, Lord. Yeah, the cookies are coming out. Delivery trucks are on the way. Trees up, lights are shining, Father. But the hope of the world, the opportunity we get to celebrate peace with you through the sacrificial gift of your son is on the way. But Father, we thank you that we can worship you in spirit and truth today. Father, if there's somebody in this room that does not have a relationship with the Prince of Peace, that this would be the morning that they would confidently say, Lord, here's my life, take it. Here's my heart, shape it. Here's my future, chisel it for your good purposes. God, I pray that this will be the morning that if someone is not saved and sure, they would step out and they would make it known that that's the desire of their heart to be sure where they would spend eternity through the person of Jesus Christ. God, I pray, Lord, that your will would be made known. You would grip our hearts, fan the flames of worship, set us free that we would enter today the worship of the heavens step into the mission field and be people of peace God help us to work and move in you Lord help us to responsibly make moves in the name of Jesus 
the Holy One of Israel. Yeshua HaMashua. God, thank you, Lord, for your child. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.